uh, are thrilled, really, that we have David Brickner with us from Jews for Jesus. This is David's fourth time with us. We were just uh, hanging out last night and talking about it, that David has now been here in every season. And make no mistake, winter is not his favorite, which it's not ours either, so we understand that. But we've now had him experience all there is in Michigan, and not just in one day, but all four seasons. And really, there's a double celebration when we get to have David with us, primarily, and we're thrilled that he's going to teach us this morning, that as we're really entering into what we call Lent, this unique season when we reflect and kind of make our own journey towards Easter, towards the cross, there's a lot of introspection. David's going to help us engage in that and what he teaches today, not just for this season, but in life. And then we always get to hear about the great ministry of Jews for Jesus and what David leads globally, that internationally they're all over the place. And every time I know we get together, I get to hear more about the great stuff God's doing. So we want to hear about that and have you teach us. Why don't you join us now, David? If you'll give him a great welcome, that would be awesome. Thank you. It's great to be back. Shalom. Shalom means peace. It also means hello. It also means goodbye. Some people take that to mean that we Jews don't know whether we're coming or we're going, but it is in the shalom of God, the peace that we find in our Lord Jesus, that I greet you. And thank you, Pastor, for inviting me back. It's always a thrill. And yes, this is uh, every, every season, but not ever a season like we're in huh? as a world with this pandemic. And uh, Jews for Jesus is in 12 countries around the world, and it's all over. What's happening is different in every single place. But I want to encourage you and remind you that the gospel is never quarantined. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit does not shelter in place. And we have, in this past year, seen more engagement with the gospel among Jewish people than the previous year. Uh, I never would have imagined that we would go and have to adjust and adapt to these new circumstances and in that see the Lord at work. And particularly in Israel, while we now have more missionaries than anywhere else in the world, because there are more Jewish people in Israel than anywhere else in the world, including here in North America. And that's something that's happened over the the past uh, decade, and we're excited that it is, I believe, an indication of where we are at right now in God's timetable for the future. In fact, I brought a video that kind of gives you a little bit more of an insight into what is happening with Jews for Jesus in Israel right now, so let's take a look at that. Shalom from Israel. At Jews for Jesus, we have three distinct ways that we reach people with the love of the Messiah Jesus by proclaiming the gospel to communities that may otherwise never hear it, by inviting people to come and see what it looks like to be Jewish and believe in Jesus, and by following the Messiah's example by loving and serving isolated and impoverished Jewish communities. In Israel, less than half a percent of Jewish people know Jesus as their Messiah. Together, we're working to change that reality one person at a time. This year, we knew we couldn't allow the challenges of the pandemic to prevent us from reaching those in need of the life-changing message of the gospel. So we adapted our methods, and what we saw God do was incredible. Since we couldn't proclaim the gospel message on college campuses, at public events, or on the streets, we took it online. In Israel, for every 100 people, there are 122 computers, the highest person-to-computer ratio in the world. Israelis also spend more time on Facebook and YouTube than any other country does. 
in lockdown, this trend has only increased. In just a few months, the videos our new media team created were viewed by Israelis over a half a million times. Thousands of gospel seeds have been planted. Pray with us that God will cause them to grow and that they bear fruit. With social distancing restrictions, limiting attendance at our evangelistic events, we went outdoors. We sent a team to the local Israel Nation Trail to share the gospel. In just a few short weeks, our team was able to share from the gospel with 645 Israelis and give out 19 Hebrew New Testaments. Praise God. Pray with us for these Israelis, many of whom are young and disillusioned with traditional Judaism, that they might come to see that Yeshua is the truth they're searching for. The last way that we reach the people of Israel with the gospel is by loving and serving those in need. God used the pandemic restrictions to provide new opportunities to serve. It is estimated that there are 25,000 people who are homeless in Israel, and social services are equipped to serve under 10% of them. Tel Aviv hosts the largest concentration of homeless people in the country. With soup kitchens shut down and many shelters at full capacity, the threat of coronavirus is compounded by the threat of people on the street dying of malnutrition and weakened immune systems. When shelter-in-place started, it felt like we were out of options. But God gave us a new idea. If people couldn't come to the soup kitchen, we could bring the soup kitchen to them. A food truck would allow us to serve more people in need. Our ministry partners jumped in to help, and in just a few months, we got the truck fully operational. We now serve 180 people every week, providing them meals and fresh water, and sharing with them the message of living water that can be found in knowing the Lord. Stand with us in prayer for those in Israel who are in desperate need of help and of hope. The salvation of this entire world is connected to the salvation of Israel. The story of redemption that God has been staging since the beginning of human history will not be complete until His plans for the Jewish people are fulfilled. We can't stop proclaiming the gospel in the land of Israel until we see God's promises fulfilled. These efforts, these stories of hope, would not be possible without you. You can make an eternal impact today with your continued generosity and prayers. Let's continue to lift up the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, in His holy land of Israel together. Go to www.j4j.co partner to learn how you can partner with us further in pursuing God's plan of salvation for the Jewish people. And we really do appreciate the partnership that all shores have had with Jews for Jesus. And I really encourage you to go to that site. If you haven't yet signed up for the Jews for Jesus newsletter, we'd love to send it to you so that you can be informed, so that you can pray. Uh, one of the other things that I wanna send you if you're able to go and sign up today is a brand new map that we've developed of Jerusalem. We're so excited that even during the pandemic, we were able to open up a brand new branch of Jews for Jesus in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, that's the place where it all began and where it's all gonna come to a grand conclusion with the return of the Savior. He's not going to Washington, D.C. or Rome. He's coming to Jerusalem, and uh, we're gonna be there proclaiming the gospel in the days to come. And so this map that we've produced for you is to help you to pray 
On one side of the map, you have the picture, the, the, the map of Jerusalem during the times of Jesus. And we point out all the different locations where different miracles occurred. And, and uh, it's really engaging, helps you to understand the Bible, the New Testament. Flip the map over, and you can see modern Jerusalem with all of the places where Jews for Jesus is ministering, including some stories in the legend about people who've come to know the Lord. And so we're just there now, our ministry. You know, there's homelessness in Jerusalem, just like you saw in Tel Aviv. And, and so we have tremendous anticipation of what God is going to do. So connect with us pray for us, we've seen that it is in fact among those broken people, the homeless, the trafficked, and the addicted, that we're having the greatest openness to the gospel because they realize their need and they're ready to repent. And folks, that's what the Lenten season is all about. Just on Ash Wednesday, we began and for 40 days, all the way up to our Easter celebration, this is to be a time of reflection and I would say repentance. Repentance is not just a one-time thing. It is something that we should be doing on a regular basis. In fact, I'd like to, as we think about this, encourage you to consider repentance as a lifestyle a way of engaging on a daily basis with the Lord. And, um, you know, I know repentance is not a PC topic. You know, we don't like to talk about it, but it's actually mentioned 70 times in the scriptures. Repent, the word in Hebrew is shuv, which literally means to turn around and stop going in one direction, turn around and go in the other. Stop going in our own direction, start moving towards the Lord. And uh, in the Psalms, there are seven what are known as penitential prayers or psalms of repentance. But I think the greatest one is Psalm 51. And so if you have a Bible, you can certainly turn there. We're not going to read the whole psalm together today, but I actually would encourage you to make this part of maybe a spiritual discipline for the season of Lent. Why not read Psalm 51 every day or at least once a week until we get there. I think you'll find it an enriching experience. You remember Psalm 51 is historic because it came on the heels of one of the most devastating experiences that David ever had. He was caught, his eyes saw this beautiful woman on the rooftop and he lusted after her. He called for her as like only a king could do committed adultery with her, and she became pregnant. She was married, and in order to cover up his shame, he had Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, killed on the front lines of the battle. Adultery and murder. And then, as so often we can do, he just buried it. But God was not to allowing that to happen. Remember he, this story, he sent Nathan the prophet. Nathan said, King, let me tell you a story. There was a wealthy man who had many flocks of sheep. And then there was another man who had one whom he loved like a child. Visitors came from afar to visit the wealthy man. And instead of going to his flocks in abundance, he went to the man who had the one and took that lamb from him and killed it. Defeat his guests. And King David didn't know 
what the story was about. He got enraged and he said, such a man should not be allowed to live. And then Nathan in that classic response said, O king, thou art the man. Wow. Talk about confrontation. Well, that finger of the prophet, like the finger of conviction of the Holy Spirit, is something The only thing that brings transformation out of such tragic circumstance. And that's what it did. And these words of Psalm 51 are the record of how David responded to thou art the man. Let's read just a few of the verses. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. What an opening to a powerful prayer of repentance. And David, having gone through the experience he had, had a deep and profound sense and prays out of this profound sense an understanding of, number one, the nature of God, number two, the nature of sin, and number three, the nature of true repentance. The foundation of genuine repentance does believe, as it did with David, with this deep understanding of who God is. And people struggle. I struggle. You struggle. We struggle to live a lifestyle of repentance because we hold on to false or incomplete understandings about who God is. We may see God as some sort of a judgmental tyrant. Maybe we had a very hard father growing up who just gave us no room and was always criticizing us, and we've translated that into our image of who God is, and it's wrong, it's false. Or, Or perhaps... We think that God is some like, you know, old man up in the sky, you know, who's kind of like, you know, patting us on the head, run along children, do better. He's indifferent to the moral condition that we find ourselves in. But what David tells us is that, number one, God is immutable. That's a fancy word for He doesn't change. He's the same. He's consistent in who he is. Number two, so important, he's gracious. And number three, he's just. You see, if God is, you know, like our parents, perhaps, one day in a good mood and everything's great, and the next day not so good, and we don't know whether this is a good day or a bad day, then we won't want to come to God at all, let alone daily, (laughs) making this a daily exercise. We don't want that because we're fearful, but we don't need to fear God because he is unchanging 
He's consistent. He doesn't need to be cajoled or placated or convinced to hear our cry. Malachi 3 verse 6 says, For I am the Lord, I do not change, therefore you are not consumed. We won't be consumed. Something else will happen when we come to God. He welcomes us. Why do we wait? Why do we make it so infrequent to come with repentance? Because we don't understand, number two, that he's gracious. He's so much more gracious than we are. God thinks more highly of you than you think of yourself because he sent his son Jesus to die for you. Wow. What a gracious thing that God has done to us. And and David in these verses talks about that. According to your loving kindness, chesed, that word, you can't translate it. Loving kindness is the best that we can do with that wonderful word, grace. It is all-encompassing. Your tender mercies, he talks about. Your generous spirit. David knows something about the graciousness of God, and that's what we need too. We need to transplant our incomplete understandings of God and import what the Bible tells us, what David is telling us here. He's the God of our salvation. We understand God's grace in this way. Repentance is something that flows naturally and it is a key that opens the door to our being able to receive all the good things that God intends for us and that he wants to give us freely each and every time. It's free. Why would we not want to take it every day? But God is also just, and we know and David knows, and that's what makes repentance so important because God is not going to excuse like patting us on the head, you know, run along and and do better. David said, what does he say? Against you and you only have I sinned. How did he say that when he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and then murdered her husband? Why can you say against you? Because that's where it begins. See, God is just. That means he's the standard of all that is good and right and pure. We're not sinful just because of the things that we've done to other people, the things that we've done to hurt ourselves. It's the things that we've done that have failed before God. You know, we wouldn't know what is right or wrong, what is good or evil, if it wasn't for that these things were established in the very nature of God. That's why we need to have this deep understanding of God's goodness, of his grace, and yes, of his justice. He is the blameless judge, and he wants us not only to understand who he is and come to him on that basis, but he wants us to understand the nature of our own sin. We can't dismiss it easily. He certainly didn't. He sent his only son, Jesus, to take care of it. David's view of God was deeply informed by his understanding of the nature of his own sin, what he did. People, we, I, struggle with repentance because we fail to understand this. We we hold on to a false or incomplete understanding of sin itself. We see it, number one, as only the worst forms of bad behavior. 
Or we see it far less as, you know, a mistake, you know. Politician gets caught in doing something wrong. He says, I made a mistake. Well, it was a little bit more than that, wouldn't you say? We need to understand what is the nature of sin. And David uses some amazing words in this psalm. He talks about transgression, about iniquity. These are all words that have to do with missing the mark, failing to live up to not meeting the standard. And all of us miss that mark because what is the mark? It's the very nature of God, his holiness, his goodness. We are not any of those things. Well, I'm not as bad as the other guy, and that may be true, but God doesn't grade sin on a curve. Think about it this way. Two guys are trapped by a lava flow from a volcano. One of them's older, one of them's younger. The older guy gets a running start to leap over this river, and he makes it about halfway, and boom, down he goes. Younger guy's got much more leg strength, and so he gets an even longer run, runs with all of his might, and jumps the river, and goes almost all the way, but almost is not good enough when you're trying to cross a flow of lava. Both men perish and they miss the mark. We all miss the mark. Where does this come from? How is it that we have this plague, this problem of sin? David says, in sin did my mother conceive me, verse 5. Now, he wasn't talking about the means by which he was conceived. No, he's not talking about his mom. He's talking about him. We are born sinful. It's that nature, that sin nature that is within us. Another Jewish poet put it this way, Bob Dylan. He said, I was blinded by the devil, born already ruined, stone cold dead as I stepped out of the womb. Have you ever bitten into an apple and found a worm inside the apple? Hmm? You didn't see any wormhole in the apple, otherwise you would have been more careful in biting into it, but there it is. At least it's a whole worm and not half a worm, huh? <laughs> How did that worm get there? Well, because the egg was laid in the blossom of the apple flower. It's on the inside, you see. And that's our condition. That's the nature of sin that we are up against. It begins in the heart, the heart of every one of us. And each of us has inherited that sin nature. C.S. Lewis said, no clever arrangement of bad eggs will make a good omelet. Right? What does sin do to us? Verse 11, 12, he says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. What does sin do to us? It kills joy. It's a joy killer. It's a downer in every sense of the word. David needs his joy restored. I need my joy restored. How often do you need your joy restored? Once a year? How about every day? We need that, and, and, and repentance is the means by which we can have that restoration. I am so annoyed with myself that I've spent so many joyless moments, days, weeks, because I've clung to some illusion that somehow I'd rather not have to deal with what I know has been going on in my life. 
But God already knows. He's waiting. Restore to me the joy. It limits our access to a a lively, vibrant, daily relationship with God. And yet we so often go on through our lives as though it's not necessary, except maybe when we're confronted with the finger. Let's not wait till thou art the woman, thou art the man. Let's remember every day that we are. And when we do, we, we get to the point where we have to understand the nature of repentance. It's not just feeling sorry. Now, people struggle to live a lifestyle of repentance because they hold on to a false or incomplete understanding of what repentance truly is. It's not just embarrassment or shame. Remember, it's shuv. What? What does that mean? Stop going in this direction. Turn around and go in the opposite direction. It's not just feeling sorry, recognizing we made a mistake. It's a turning back to God. All of these things, disappointment over failure, regret, all these things come into play, but there's a turning to God. (laughs) There's a recognition, I can't do this without him. And so we cry for mercy. We have no merit, no claim, no leg up, no way to twist God's arm because we don't need to. He's waiting. So we just cry out. I have nothing else to hope for than the fact that you are the unchanging, gracious, just God. And I know, and my sin is ever before me, so I need to plead to you, plead to you, blot out my transgression, he says. It's like removing writing from a book. Somehow, we have examples even this week, of great servants of God who somehow thought that their sins were secret, hidden. And David said, I know that's not the case. There's a ledger, there's a book, and the only way to get this out is not to pretend and hide it, but to blot it out. And that's what God does when we come to him in repentance. Wash me. Wash me, Lord, and I'll be whiter than snow. (laughs) rather than whiter than uh, leprosy, because those words, wash, purge, hyssop, these are words that come right out of the law of Moses concerning the purification rites for leprosy. David's image of what his sin has done to him is so graphic, he stands before a holy God and says, I'm a leper, I'm just a leper, spiritually speaking. We're lepers. Wow. But when we are able to understand that, then we say, wash me, and he does. Because ultimately, this is not something that can be done by our own effort. This is not something that we can, through right words or even right behavior, and, you know, work for ourselves because it is a supernatural, dynamic thing that only God can do. That's why David says, Create in me a clean heart, oh God. You can't create a clean heart. I can't create a clean heart. Only God can create a clean heart. 
And so David cries out, would you give me one of those, please? It's a gift that only God can give. And he wants to give it to us every day, every day. And he will. Praise his name. And when we have that experience, it's a lifestyle that results in what? Brokenness. Some people think that brokenness is the prerequisite to forgiveness. It's actually the fruit of it. Hmm. If you're a broken person in the right sense of what, how God wants, how David experienced brokenness, humility, then that's the fruit of what God has and is doing in your and my life. John tells us if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brokenness leads to service. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, David says, and sinners shall be converted to you. It's broken people that can help broken people. (laughs) And people are broken. I'm broken. You're broken. We live in a broken world. But that brokenness, when met with repentance, leads to service that helps others. And then finally, it leads to praise. Open my lips, David says in verse 15. Open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. Lips once closed by separation from God can now be opened and praised to God by the grace of his forgiveness. Remember what Jesus said about that woman who wept over his feet? She said, she loves much because she's been forgiven much. You want to love much? Get forgiven <laughs> much. Every day, maybe. <laughs> it's a lifestyle. It leads to joy. All the good things that God wants to pour into our lives. But this repentance has only come about because of one act of great love and mercy and grace that we're going to be celebrating in a few weeks. There's a big discussion among the rabbis as to what happened with David. Because you remember that even though he repented in such a wonderful way, there were consequences. That baby that was conceived in Bathsheba didn't make it. That baby died. And commenting on that, the rabbis say, well, you know, Nathan waited for a time. And he told that story because if he had told it right away, if he had confronted David immediately, it would have been so egregious to him he would have died. And so David didn't die, but instead the baby died, his little son took his place. They got it only partially right. David's son did die, but it was his greater son. The Messiah is called the son of David. Jesus is called the son of David. And because Jesus died, David 
could be forgiven. Because Jesus died, this David (laughs) can be forgiven and all of us can be forgiven. What an amazing reality that we serve such a loving God who has given us the gift of repentance as an exercise of spiritual nurture and vibrancy. And I assure you and I assure myself that every day as we come to him, we need to comfort ourselves with this thought. There's more room for loving forgiveness in God's heart than there is capacity for sin in our own. It's an endless resource. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, we, we can't even begin to appreciate the depths of the riches of the mercy and grace of you, Almighty God. It's not a moment when we're forsaken, and yet we often feel as though we are. Lord, help us perhaps in this holy season to begin to cultivate the practice of repentance for the grace that it pours into our lives so that we can indeed have joy, so that in our brokenness we can help others. And so that our mouths will be opened in praise to you, our King and our Redeemer. Bashem Yeshua, in the name of Jesus. Amen.